Greetings, I'm Karen Colligan. Welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership Podcast. I'm the founder of a leadership organization called PeopleThink, where I created the Keep It Real Leadership Program that equips and elevates emerging and advancing leaders. It's all online and it can be done anywhere and it can be done at any time. What I know for sure is all leaders lead differently. And that's the beauty of leadership. It's so important to understand what your unique leadership style is. Now, that word is worth repeating, unique, because everyone has their own leadership style, which will inform how they're going to help your team and your organization move forward. You got to be real. And you got to be bold and you got to drive to take action. Because let's face it, people look to their leaders for vision. They look to their leaders for coaching and growth opportunities. This is why as a leader, you want to be crystal clear about your unique leadership style and competencies. The whole purpose of the Let's Talk Leadership podcast is to speak to a variety of leaders who are in different industries with different titles at different levels to better understand their unique way of leading. We're going to ask each leader the same six questions so we can provide you with a diverse way of looking at leadership. We want you to find those treasures that will help you be the best leader only you can be. So let's get moving and talk to our next leadership guest. In this episode, I am thrilled to be speaking to Michael Martin, who is the co-founder of Avenue 8, and we're going to hear about Michael's approach to leadership. Michael, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Karen. Really excited to be here. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then, of course, tell us a little bit about Avenue 8. Sure. So, I live in San Francisco. I've been here just about seven years. Before that, I was in New York and originally grew up in Texas. And I co-founded Avenue 8 with my business partner, Justin. Uh, Avenue 8 is a residential real estate brokerage platform. We provide a variety of tools and services to real estate agents to help them Uh, grow their business, to close more effectively and efficiently. And it's been a really exciting time for the company. We launched uh, right before shelter in place. uh, But since then, we've actually been able to, I think, tap into uh, some pretty unique traction in the market. And every day is is different than the last, but it's really exciting and fun. I can't wait to hear um, more about Avenue 8 and kind of your why behind even starting it, because I know that you don't come from the real estate market. So can you tell a little bit about where you come from and how you got to where you are? I don't come from the real estate industry. My closest experience to it was back in 2008. I was living in New York, working at a private equity firm called Apollo, which at the time owned a company called Realogy, which is the biggest brokerage in the country. You know, in 2008, it was a really difficult economic moment. The credit markets were frozen. Uh, housing transactions fell off. I had a good understanding at a macro level kind of how the brokerage business worked. Uh, also, what was happening in 2008 was, you know, Zillow and Trulia were two years old and search was becoming uh, more democratized and moving online. So the role of the physical office in the uh, real estate transaction lifecycle uh, was really changing. You know, consumers weren't going into the office to say, I want to buy a home or I need to find an agent. They were 
leading that process themselves. But at, you know, at that time, a lot of the software and tools that agents were using to run their business was still on-premise. And so that part required, I think, more of a brick and mortar presence. I left Apollo in 2010 and joined a digital agency called Code and Theory, which at the time was about 50 or so people. And I was there for nearly a decade, uh, helped grow the company to about 500 people as a managing partner, had the opportunity to work with really talented and, and, and brilliant designers and developers and product managers and marketers and, and companies across many different verticals. And when I met my co-founder, Justin, who's been a real estate agent for over a decade, he shared his experience, his view on where the industry was going, his idea for a new type of brokerage. It resonated on many different levels. First, obviously from the days at Apollo, it made sense to me that if you went back to first principles thinking and built a brokerage in 2020, you wouldn't need the office space. You would provide a variety of cloud-based tools and services to agents um, and, and, and provide you know, a structure that could let them be more entrepreneurial and more effective. And then also from the experience at Code and Theory, you know, agents today you know, market themselves, market listings, find clients in, in a very different way than even just a few years ago. And they are salespeople. They are not meant to spend time navigating an increasingly complex, you know, omni-channel content marketing landscape. Um, so we try to support them and meet them uh, at the places where they need the most help. When you think about what you and Justin are doing um, with Avenue Aid, I mean, it's really a leader in the field of real estate that, as you have talked about before with me, I mean, hasn't been updated in a long time. So you're leading one of the trends to really make real estate agents more nimble and do what they do, which is sell versus all of the other administrative foundational pieces that you need in order to sell. So yeah, I can't wait to continue to, to, to hear your viewpoint. So, so let's get to the first question. I mean, there's so many ways to define leadership and it's so personal to each individual. And, and so I'd really like to hear your definition of leadership or how you think about leadership when you think about not only Avenue 8, but everywhere else that you've been. I'm going to use a food analogy here. I, <laughs> I love to cook and I grew up in a, in a house where food is really important. My mom at various points in her life was a chef and she's worked at Whole Foods for a long time. And I actually think that great leaders share a lot of qualities with great chefs. How do you select the best ingredients? It's around team building. You know, what do you need to make something amazing? What are the different components? How do they complement one another? How do you know if something is fresh or not before you even taste it? I think that's really critical. I think knowing how to follow a recipe and be precise, but also how to improvise and know what to do if you forgot an ingredient or you don't, you know, you don't have uh, everything laid out in front of you. I think at Avenue 8, my role is fairly comprehensive in many ways. I wear a lot of different hats. One of my jobs is to be the CFO. I think when you're a CFO, it's like baking. You, if it, the recipe calls for two cups of flour and a tablespoon of baking soda and a pinch of salt, you need to be precise. You're not going to get the outcome that you want. There's not really any interpretation when it comes to, you know, how you manage the finances of the business versus, you know, when thinking about product strategy, the brand that I, that's more like, you know, grilling, 
you're imprecise. You know, the part of what makes it taste good is the char and you just kind of have to feel it out and experiment. That's really relevant. When you think about when you're making a dish, you have all the different ingredients, you have a general idea of what it's supposed to be. So just like the same as spending time with customers and understanding their user journeys and the requirements of the product. But ultimately, you know, if you're at a restaurant or even at home, you're going to eat with your eyes first, right? And so the plating of that, that is the customer experience. And very rarely do customers choose a product because of its specific characteristics versus another product. They attach themselves to brands or to certain products because of that brand's interpretation of the product. And so when you think about real estate, the life of real estate agents has changed dramatically in the last five years, let alone the last few months, mm-hmm. right? But the brokerage industry behind that really hasn't changed in 40 or 50 years. It's basically running the same way. And it's a tremendous opportunity to flip that model on its head. And so that's what we're trying to build at Avenue 8 in the context of leadership to make that successful. It's a team effort. Just like in the kitchen, you have to be a clear communicator. You have to create information symmetry. People have to know where things are. They have to know the timing, the sequencing. The food has to come out hot. And as a result, you can't be afraid of a few burns. Just like in business, you know, there's going to be really difficult moments, both for you as a leader, for your team. You can't be afraid of that. You have to just sort of lean into it and know that it's part of it. And and hopefully one day you look back and it's, you know, when you see it, you remember what it was like to be in that moment. Just have to say one thing, Mr. Michael, I have never heard the analogy of a great leader and a great chef. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking, uh, duh, well, yeah, of course. So, you know, you think about selecting the best ingredients, that's selecting the best team and members. You have to build the recipe. Okay. You have to build your team. You have to follow the recipe. Much more importantly, you have to improvise during that time of the build. The CFO analogy to baking. Oh my goodness gracious. I, I, I have to say, I can't stand baking. It's so precise, which is why I have somebody who handles all of my financials and gives me that reporting structure. You know, the product, the grilling, the temperature has to be right. It has to be charred. The plating, that customer experience, my goodness gracious, yes. And and people really, I mean, if you think about restaurants in general, I mean, how many times you sit there and you get your plate and you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. And you go back because it was so beautiful. So that customer experience is amazing. And then we all got to get burned. Isn't that the truth? And every one of us has got burned. And if we haven't, by the time we continue through our career, that's a lot of, um, I'd say people aren't telling the truth. So burns help us really learn how we don't do that again. Uh huh. We can, we can learn how not to do that again. That is a beautiful, beautiful analogy. Great. Thank you. Love that. You know, when I think of values, what I really think about is it's our core. It's how we make decisions. It's how we navigate the world. When I think about asking the question of three values, I mean, I know that's a hard question to get to three, and I just think it's important to continue to, you know, take it and funnel it down. So so talk to us about what your three values are. Well, when I think back about right out of college, early in my career, and I worked with some really great leaders. The ones that I had the most respect for were the ones that had a high degree of self-awareness and particularly ones that knew when they didn't know something and were able to say that and and ask for that input. I think that's really critical. You know, self-awareness of knowing 
when you walk into a room or when you're talking to someone, whether it's your team or your customer, how you come across, what kind of energy are you giving out? Uh, what, where are they at? You know, what is going to be the most effective way to communicate? You know, whatever it is needs to be needs to be shared. To me, that's really that's really critical. You could also think of self awareness in some ways as as humility. I wouldn't say they're synonyms, but certainly, you know, part of being humble is being able to create space where you know multiple people can coexist and feel heard and feel like they're part of the decision. And I think that's that's really essential. I also think, and this is true now more than ever, that having tenacity is critical in a leader. You have to keep moving forward. You you absolutely have to keep your eye on the goal and push yourself and your team every day to just build on what's already been established. It's very easy, especially in a startup, to get discouraged. You know, you're not just in, in building product and team dynamics, fundraising, building a brand, managing all of the administrative uh, work that it, you know may not be as fun but is is really important you, you just you need to be determined and you have to have that gumption to not give up and to keep pushing and to be a positive force of encouragement and and momentum for everyone around you i also think that the ability to evolve if you're self-aware you also have an awareness of the circumstances especially now circumstances are in flux they're changing all the time you have to have flexibility in your business. You have to have flexibility in yourself to be able to see your blind spots, whether it's something that you discover or something that someone points out and, and how to anticipate that, right? Really good teams, especially, are ones that can anticipate what might happen. If you're leading a team where the members of your team can anticipate, that means you're doing something right. Because if they can anticipate, they have probably similar information to work from, they have a shared vision of what success looks like. They understand the different signals of, you know, how to measure progress or how to understand the status of something. And they already have alternative strategies or mechanisms or approaches that can create, again, continuous forward momentum, even if the uh, way to get there might be different than we originally thought. So self-awareness, tenacity, and evolve. And if you think about what just happened in terms of shelter in place and how I know you started your business. So so tell that story a little bit because that really goes back to this tenacity value, Michael, and, and how you're continuing to move the business forward. We have been working on Avenue 8, you know, Justin and I, for a, for a long time, uh, but we didn't get our license from the Department of Real Estate until Valentine's Day. And that was obviously, you know, an important milestone to be able to function as a licensed brokerage. And so we opened the doors, brought on our first agents who are our customers about a week before shelter in place. Mm -hmm. You know, at first you're a startup founder, you know, you read lots of articles and medium about, you know, other startup founder stories and how it's hard. And of course it's hard. Then you add on shelter in place in a global pandemic, and you're kind of like, all right, well, you know, may as well bring it <laughs> may on. As well add another thing. Yeah. We use the time just to kind of go heads down and focus on making sure the customer experience was positive, making sure that we could build product and move quickly. And I think, as you know, a lot of the incumbent competitors in the industry that have been around for a long time, you know, they were kind of in triage mode. They were cutting their staff and cutting costs and freezing. R&D and innovation programs, we, you know, viewed it as a moment to just accelerate. If you think about our business, you know, part of Avenue 8's model is that we don't 
have offices for agents because agents are increasingly on the go, they're on their, their phone, they're in the car. That mental model of being comfortable to work from home or work remotely was accelerated by years in just a matter of months. Agents that we were talking to early on that felt like they needed an office now recognize not only do they not need it, they can't go to one. Agents that wanted to be part of a big brokerage because they would get open houses as part of their business development strategy need an entirely new strategy. You know, open houses as they were aren't going to come back for a long time, if ever. And so that new strategy is intrinsically digital. And that's where we've leaned into as a business. So in a way, this last few months of shelter in place have been a tailwind for Avenue 8. We're ahead of schedule in terms of our you know, sales growth, our customer growth. And we're just going to keep going. That was really important. We also had to shift the entire team to remote work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we were we were onboarding our, our first employee joined us like January 3rd. Our second one joined in February. We were a young team getting to know one another, getting to learn each other's styles and building a culture. I think we did a lot of good work in a short amount of time because today that team is still in place. We're super close, even though we haven't seen each other in person for for months. You know, we've sent thirty thousand Slack messages as a, as a group since, oh since March. So it's uh yeah, you know, I think it's it's a testament to also their tenacity. They didn't give up. They doubled down. It's so it's so amazing to see that. And, and, you know, obviously that third value of evolve, I mean, all of you had to evolve. I mean, not just you, not just Justin, your team members, your agents. I mean, everybody is in this, whatever we're in right now, not knowing when the light at the end of the tunnel, we're really going to be able to see it. And so the fact that you're able to continue to create and really think about what else can we provide? And this is, a, you know, if you think about it, Michael, it, exactly what you were designing for. And as you said, you now have a tailwind because now you've got things in place that other places are not going to have in place. So now you can be the leader in this as well. So, so that's pretty darn cool. And, you know, you've really kind of answered this question and, and it's about the fact that, you know, the world is going through obviously an enormous amount of transition and change with the shelter in place, with the social awakening, with the economic implications. And how are you continuing to lead through this transition and change, you know, obviously your values play a huge part. You know, you're very lucky that that your team was able to get that closeness before. It sounds like you're really making sure that that's on top of the radar in in, in terms of um, work efficiency and productivity, and making sure the team is collaborative and together. So, what are some of the other things that that you're doing to lead through this transition? The last few months have been an incredible amount of change for everyone. And I think it's really important as a leader to know that your personal experience of of that change is not the same as everyone else's. So you have to lead by listening. You have to understand what people are going through and how they're experiencing this change and be empathetic to that, you know, particularly to be emotionally empathetic and compassionate and making sure people feel like there is space for them to be heard mm. and to share their experience, their story, and then use that as a guiding point for how to move forward. I think it's also really important when you're in a moment of flux that as a leader, you can retain that that fixed point of stability, that 
that there's always something for you and for your team to to come back to and use that to to maintain direction. When you know, I used to row uh, on the crew team, and I was the bow of a four-person boat. And as the bow, you have the one you have like a special shoe in the boat that has an attachment to the rudder. And so you, it's mm-hmm. your job not just to row, but to make sure that the boat is going in a straight line. To do that, you have, you know, you basically focus your eyes on something in the distance, whatever it might be, some object or the building or whatever it might be, tree, and use that to kind of gauge whether you're going straight or not. And I think that's really crucial now. You have to know what is the North Star of the business, right? What are we trying to solve for? Who is our customer? What do they need and how can we provide it to them? And I think if you are laser focused on that and can articulate the why and the how and the what of that vision, then that provides that provides a way to kind of cut through that that shifting, that amalgamation of change around you and be, be a source of stability in that moment. So the stability is so important, especially when you think about where we are in this change. But I want to I want to really emphasize what you said in terms of emotionally listening with compassion and empathy, because, Michael, at this point in in the world, everyone is saying, you know, what about me and what about me? And they have to be heard before they they can listen to a shared vision and stability. So once they're really heard, then that can be released and then they can go, oh, that's right. This is why I work at Avenue 8. Oh, oh, there's a North Store. Oh, there's a shared vision. Oh, I get it now. And if we forget as leaders that emotional piece that someone just needs to speak a little bit and you have to mean it when you listen with compassion and empathy, then that can kind of dissipate and then you can pay attention to the shared vision. And then that's when I need the stability. Please promise me, leader, you will have the stability and then I'll help you get to that shared vision. So now let's get to this whole thing about you know, as a leader, we we have to be curious. As a leader, we have to be learning at all times so we can bring it to the business, so we can understand what's trending, so we can understand what's going on in the industry, and then bring it kind of back home to the business. So so what are some of the things that you do to develop yourself and keep making sure that you are kind of crisp in terms of learning? Well, I would say I'm fortunate in that my wife is a big reader and listener to a variety of podcasts, you know, on leadership, on entrepreneurship, on self-actualization. So I would say mostly I just try to listen to what she says as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, you know, that's been a huge source. And and again, very fortunate for that. Um, You know, there is the signal to noise ratio right now is so bad when it comes to being able to suss out, you know, valuable information in the world. I think I've tried to curate, you know, uh, more of a feed into my inbox every day of whether it's blogs or newsletters that I find really helpful. And sometimes those are on, you know, very, very narrow topics. Other times they're on, you know, more general, general topics. How you kind of curate and edit the sources of information um, is, is really important and, and a good way to, 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 to learn. There's so much out there now, you know, whether it's on Medium or, um, you know, different newsletters from, from you know, 
thought leaders, I think that's been really helpful for me, particularly because if you just sort of go out and try to search for something or turn on the news on the TV, like it's really difficult to make sense of it sometimes. I would say I also believe that not all knowledge needs to be intrinsically useful. You know, (laughs) sometimes knowledge can be, you know, useless in the context of the specific thing you're trying to solve. I think it's important to gain perspective on work by moving outside of work and losing yourself in art or in music. You know, I think back on my my personal experience in college, I studied comparative literature. It was you know, a mix of critical theory, French, and you know that did not prepare me to go into investment banking and private mm-hmm. equity. Uh, in the same way that it, you know, if I had been an economics major, or a finance and accounting major, probably would have been better equipped out of the gate to you know build models and, and analyze companies. But ultimately, I think looking back in my career and kind of the the changes I've made and where I am today, I think it was essential. I think you have to approach things adjacently sometimes in order to to solve them more effectively. And you have to be dynamic in, you know, in, in, in your, in your approach. Yeah, I completely agree because our brains need to rest, Michael. And you are so correct about the noise. Oh, there's so much noise. I mean, if I get one more email about, you know, join this webinar, do this Zoom, do, I'm like, no, stop. My brain needs some space. Leave me alone. And that's my inside voice. Now it's my outside voice, but you know what I mean. And I agree with you. There's just times we have to get information that has nothing to do with what we do for a living so that we can fill up again. Yeah. And we're going to, I'm going to ask, that's my last question. So we're headed that way. Um, And before I do that, what about your team? I mean, they're remote now. So what kind of uh, avenue do you give them to learn, to develop? Do you give them tools? Do they ask you, this is what I want to do? T- tell me about your team because they're they're young and I don't, I don't mean age-wise, but they're young to you. I mean, you've just started Avenue 8. And so how, how do you keep them um, confident that you, you want them to develop? I think it's a few ways. I'd say in general, I think it's the responsibility of the person that wants to learn something or uplevel their skills to let their, you know, leadership know that they that they need that and want that. It's going to be very hard for me as a leader to to anticipate and understand, you know, what type of course or curriculum or training someone needs in any given moment, especially at an early stage of of a company working together. So I think it's important to let them know when you onboard an employee, I've done this both at Avenue 8 and my prior role at Code Theory, that you know there is budget available for training and learning. I think what that training and learning looked like six months ago may have been, you know, depending on what it was, like a 10-week general assembly course that you could go to after work to learn how to create a service design map or how to learn a coding language. Right now, everything is being done virtually. And so that's where it gets a little bit, a little bit interesting and challenging sometimes. You know, one of the things that we've been doing for our team of, of agents to build culture and community amongst them is a series of webinars. We do them every week. A lot of them are about real estate, whether it's about you know market data, what, what they're seeing out there, different trends, um, you know, updates to disclosures because of shelter in place, but also not just about real estate. You know, we, we've interviewed uh, leading architects and experts in health and wellness. And I think 
that's really important. And at the same time, I think lots of companies are doing this and people are experiencing webinar fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like no shortage of things to tune into and it can create this sort of desire to learn is good, but I think it can also create a lot of pressure. You know, when, when shelter in place first started, there was a lot of talk <laughs> about, you know, well, let's use this time to do the thing you've never, you know, had time to do before, like learn a new language, uh, you know, um, learn how to code in Python and, and, and spend time you know, tr- tr- you know, making like sourdough starter. And I think now, you know, there's a lot of people that look back and they're like, well, all I've been able to learn is how to watch, you know, Netflix more effectively and, and, and you know, binge five seasons of the Bureau. And which is, which is fine. I think it's important to, to give yourself a break and, you know, not hold yourself, you know, it's like you, cr- you, you create a problem for yourself by, by having that mentality. And, so I'd say in terms of how to encourage people on the team to learn and develop their skills, let them know it's available, let them come to you with what they want to learn. I think it also relates to to my approach of starting someone at a hundred versus starting someone at zero. Mm-hmm. Like I believe in, you know, benefit of the doubt, giving people multiple projects and then seeing how they succeed and then, you know, scaling back as, as necessary, as opposed to, incremental small projects and building up over time. I think, you know, you want to just assume the best of people and give them the opportunity to outperform, but be aware of, you know, whether they're struggling with that or whether they can even, you know, do more. So um, that's how you can kind of gauge where the gaps are. And therefore you can understand maybe what skills you needed to, to, to be added in. Yeah. And I really love your idea that you have them come to you. I mean, when you think about um, that tells you so much about the the person who comes to you and the person who doesn't come to you. So if someone wants to continuously learn and they're thinking about I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that, even if it's outside the scope of their normal work, at least you know that they're really um, thinking about how they can better work under the conditions that they're under and, you know, how they can give back to that shared vision and that type of thing. So I agree with you in terms of, man, you got to be accountable for your own growth. And, you know, you talked about a line item for training and development and, you know, that's important as well. And people are going to do it in different ways. Um, and so my last question is, um, we know you love to cook. Um, however, I'm still going to ask you, um, even beyond cooking, what do you do that that really keeps you balanced and and Michael gives you some joy in your life? Now we talked about you talked about so, sourdough starter and you talked about banana bread. I like your first analogy, so this other stuff. But what what do you do? Tell us what you do to to kind of continue the joy. Because if you don't have joy, eh, you know why why bother getting up every day? I I'll spare you more cooking analogies that it oh I love this them. podcast into you episode of, of Iron Chef or something. I do take a lot of inspiration from art. I have a photograph in my living room. One of my friends is a, is a composer who did part of the score to the movie Man on Wire about Philippe Petit, you know, doing a, a tightrope walk between the Trade Center Towers back in the 70s. And Crazy. I have an original photograph of, of Philippe, you know, on the wires. And I, I look at it every day. That balancing act, the level of courage and just complete lack of fear mm-hmm. uh, to be out there with the wind blowing and you know length going back and forth i think like nine times and oh, laying down and standing up and doing a trick 
it just must have been the most insane thing ever. And I also think a lot about the photographer mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. You, know, you have Philippe, who's obviously the one taking the risk and on the wire, but then you have the photographer who can only take that photo because he too is part of the, you know, part of the transgressive act. He's a co-conspirator in this whole exactly. thing. He's up there with his own set of stresses. Oh, you know, is his camera is the camera in focus? Did I take off the lens cap? You know? <laughs> oh. Yeah. And and so I think you just in but the photo is so serene. Mm. You know, it's you look at this photo and it is it is like this beautiful early light in the day and this figure on a wire between two of the most iconic structures ever built. And and, and I love it. What I also really love about it, when it's in the movie, you know, after he gets down from the tower, you know, rush of reporters and they're asking him questions and somebody asks him, why did you do it? And his answer is, there is no why. Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness. I think we hear a lot about, you know, Simon Sinek or whoever else, you know, starting with the why yeah. versus the why. And, and that makes a lot of sense. You, know, you have to have a mission. There has to be a why behind what you do. But, you know, there isn't always a why. <laughs> in everything sometimes you just feel it and you know you need to do it it just calls you and you don't need to be academic or over intellectualize the why you just have to do it and i think that's a big part of entrepreneurship is you have to have your reasons your reasons need to be authentic but at a certain point you need to shift from i really want to do this because i believe in it just doing it. Yeah, really agree. And, and especially the correlation uh, in terms of, of entrepreneurship. I mean, how many of us, I mean, I'm sure there were some people in your life, Michael, who said, why would you do this? I mean, why would you start Avenue 8? And I would imagine your response after listening to you talk today would be, well, why, why, why wouldn't I start it? It, why you know I, I've got some planning in place, and now it's just time let let's get her done, if you will. So, and, and that movie it makes me sweat, even though I know the ending. I still am. I, I, I talk about no fear. I mean, that's beyond no fear. It just it's really amazing. And then what is funny is so your three values, Michael, self-awareness, tenacity, and evolve. I mean, you think about the tenacity that took and the improvisation that took. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You're brave to have that in your living room. I, serene. Oh, I don't know. I'd be afraid it'd break out in a sweat every time I looked at it, but it, and it is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. And it will remind you every day. Oh, I don't always have to have a why. What's the big deal? It also oh. reminds me that I'm, what I'm doing isn't that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not uh, life or death anyway. In the moment, at least I'm somewhat on the ground. And exactly. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Michael, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Um, your wise words, um, your analogy about food is extraordinary. And I just um, I'm going to steal it if that's OK. I'll give you credit all the time. I, promise. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just really a beautiful analogy of how to look at leadership. And I've never heard anything like it before. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom with us. Thanks for having me, Karen. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love. Yeah. A few laughs along the way. I love that part. So thanks everyone for listening. I'm Karen Colligan and you've been listening to Michael Martin, the co-founder of Avenue 8. Till the next episode of the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. Have a good one. And don't forget to keep it real.
Music by Poddington Bear and editing by Mary Lee Williams. Thank you.